0: Hey delivered
1: Jogi, Everybody number one source for everything frax DeFi, and everything in between if you want to know what's going on in the world on chain you've come to the right place this is DeFi dave here with capital k and we're here to help you harness the power of the flywheel and someone that's been keeping track of the power of the flywheel frax in particular among other things is mr thor harvickson i definitely budged his name but so we'll just call him thor but we had thor who's been making content for about two years now but has really taken uh a big initiative to cover DeFi, whether it's Frax, Arbitrum, options. And we originally saw him on a thread where he cited us. And then I looked into his content more. I was like, all right, there's something here. Like, let's definitely get him on the pod. Uh, we go over all our thoughts about this show in the post game. Make sure you go to our newsletter to check that out. Uh, but Kit, like anything quick, quick that you want to say about this
0: pod? I am uber bullish on him. If I can buy Thor coin, I will.
1: Yeah, Thor chain's taken. So we got to buy Thor (laughs) coin. (laughs) Yeah. And so we'll definitely uh, keep you up to date with all that. So if you want to hear anything about Thor, Thor coin, Thor chain, or anything DeFi, anything Frax, make sure you've subscribed, hit that bell button. Uh, Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at DeFi. Join our telegram at DeFi. You can follow me on Twitter at DeFiDay22. You can follow me at zero X capital underscore K and let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH, but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields, but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Frax ETH today. Thank you, everyone, for joining this episode of DeFi. This time, we have on another commentator, a YouTuber, and a degen. We have on Thor. Thor, you've been having your YouTube for about a year now. Uh, You recently popped up on my feed when you wrote a a nice thread about Frax. I'm just like, this guy knows what he's talking about. And then I checked a few of your other threads and more of your content. I'm like, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. He's someone that is actually taking a... uh, fundamental look at DeFi, trying to discern between the nuance and i was like we got to get this guy on so thor thank you for coming on uh it's great to have you
2: no thank you guys super excited to be here really uh, appreciate the opportunity and also wh- while we're at it like congrats on 100k uh eth sticked on frax eth that's uh that's a huge, huge miles- milestone
1: let's go let's go. i know in such a short amount of time in like four months three four months and to get mm-hmm. to that number, you know, the road to a million. Yeah, you know, and that's just as a test. I mean, we've we lived shilling it for since it launched, but like the testament to the whole, since like
2: the fracks. It must feel systems, good, it like, must feel good.
1: Yeah, it does feel good. Um, but we'll get into fracks. don't worry. But we want to get into you a little bit and your background and um, how did you get from, you know, getting into crypto to DeFi and then analyzing DeFi and starting the YouTube channel? Like,
2: what is your story? Mm-hmm. Well, without um, taking too much time, funnily enough, today is actually my uh, two-year anniversary from starting my YouTube channel. Uh, and around two years ago, I began, or a bit prior to that, actually, I began getting into stock investing and bought the Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, like everyone does when they're getting into investing. I was just, just finished Perfect. high school and uh, wanted to learn more, started a YouTube channel. I believe my first video was... Something along the lines of what is a PE ratio or how does earnings per share actually work. Um, and at that time, I was also beginning to get fascinated by by the crypto space. That must have been like late 2020 or early 2021 when Bitcoin was just like rallying towards 50k. There was just this euphoria. And I think I really entered with this insane. naive perspective. It was insane, and I had never really experienced anything prior to that. Like I was just done with high school, just around COVID, and like I was pretty naive. Like entering this space, going into Twitter, it was amazing. Joining all of these communities, and I can pretty confidently say that I made every possible mistake on the playbook. I mean, I got all those good tokens like Safe Moon, etc. I was just all in. So, so when. When I say that I've been in crypto for two years, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, (laughs) but that was just right out the window because then the emotions start flying and you're like, oh, I can't miss this. It's only up a thousand percent the past couple of days. This is just the beginning. Um, So I guess over the past years, I've really like developed this more cynical approach. And I think that's a necessity to survive in crypto where every time you see something new, you got to like, you got to just Go with the thought that this is a scam and then you can research it further mm-hmm. and do some due diligence and then you can find out that okay this project actually has some some proper value and that's also how i discovered frax but we can get to that so i started creating crypto videos around two years ago then i started um at university so mm. if you're unfamiliar i also study computer science and economics here in copenhagen and i've done so for nearly two years as well and so, as I began to become more knowledgeable with economics and started to learn some programming, I got more fascinated by the the debe- developer side of, of blockchain as well. Mm. And I guess that also went hand in hand with DeFi. I started to look for for some of the more real use cases in the space that I could find at the time. And I think DeFi presents a lot of really, really interesting opportunities on a global scale, especially also stable coins. And that's also why I've been a fan of Frex Finance for quite a while. And so I pivoted my content on YouTube around a year ago to talk more about DeFi. And then I really also started to to post on Twitter. And it was just, it was really a great way for me to just keep learning about the space because putting your thoughts out there, making content, it's, it's great in many ways, and one of them being that you need to make sure you actually know what you're talking about if you're presenting different the- theses uh, on, on different assets and protocols and stuff like that. So I think that's really elevated my, my knowledge from just some basic what's the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum and stuff like that to having a more in-depth understanding and fascination with the space. And then also like the communities that you start joining, especially on Twitter, that's ro- what really gets you hooked, I guess. And so... Since then, like recently, I've just been more and more diving into the more data-driven research. I guess you can say, look at tokenomics, look at revenue, etc. That's also why I I think Frax Finance is interesting in many different ways. And yeah, I guess that's uh, that's so kind of my story. Did
1: you go on YouTube first and then Twitter, or did you? So I did. You went it from, was, I love it was like the journey like of like eight months later okay. or something. Interesting. I, I, it's an interesting journey from intelligent investor to like videos on PE to let me ape into SafeMoon and every shitcoin I can find to like oh no I've made mm-hmm. every mistake to like all right what's actually real what's going on in DeFi and it's a very natural journey. Um, it's I, so you know, natural. Yeah, you definitely paid your dues. That's good to um, hear. You know, which I, yeah, which I commend you for. Um, and so, like you said, so. I've like, looked. I took a look at your channel. I've seen like, you know, how it's evolved over like the past years. Like first it was like, when you focus on DeFi, it's like, okay, like let's look at the yields. And now you are definitely taking a more of a fundamental approach looking at tokens. Um, I'm just like wondering, you know, when you analyze protocols, like what do you look for and um, what do you, what are signs of a quality project and what are signs of a not so quality project?
2: Yeah, that that's a good question. And. Also in terms of like you're saying that that my content has developed, I think that my approach here the past couple of months has especially also been that I, I think I've realized that everyone has different financial goals. Everyone has different risk tolerances. So you can't really, I don't think it's a good idea to talk about like, I think this is a good investment and I think this, this like you should buy this because of X and Y instead, what I especially try to focus on over on Twitter is to give people the tools they need to avoid making the mistakes that I did so I've made several videos where I talk about what is impermanent loss and why is this super important that you know how this works so you don't sell half of your ethereum for some random farm token I deposited into a liquidity pool and then you're shocked when when you lose all the value because I was there then I played around with some impermanent loss calculators found out how that actually works and then I started to, to talk about it over on, on YouTube. And so things like that also focus on like protocol runway, look at treasuries uh, and stuff like that. I think that's uh, that's quite interesting. Uh, okay. And so so nice, also nice. to, to yeah, return it- on your questions in terms of like, what differentiates the like good quality and bad quality projects. I think there are a lot of different things to look for, Um, and that's also what I talk about on YouTube. So like good marketing, good shipping, like can they do marketing in in a non cringe way? Uh, What about the tokenomics? What about the earnings? Those are all important things. But at the end of the day, the number one thing that differentiates a decent protocol with a high potential protocol, a super exciting protocol, in my opinion, is the Is there actual demand? Is there proper product market fit? And I think that's also something we've seen more recently. And that's also something you're able to identify more clearly in a bear market, because if you can identify some of these use cases that people actually still using when liquidity is dry, I think these are the protocols that you should also keep an eye on in the bull market when capital starts flowing back, because these are building products that are solving actual problems that people can actually use and have the potential for more broad adoption and broad scale
1: and speaking of one of those protocols uh let's talk about frax because I can now it's now I see your think line of thinking and how it led you to frax and I want you to describe in your own words what is frax
2: and why are you so bullish on it sure so if I were to describe Frax Finance to my grandma, I would say, well, Frax Finance is an issuer of decentralized stablecoins and one of the best at it currently. What initially really caught my interest with Frax, the stablecoin of Frax Finance, was actually a podcast interview where Sam I believe he went on bankless and talked about like three different asset classes in crypto I guess you can say that had the potential of reaching a trillion dollar market cap and beyond and he talked about Bitcoin ethereum and stable coins and for some reason that quote just really stuck by me and resonated with me and more in particular fax finance uh especially caught my interest uh last year when taiki also did a video in-depth video on it on on youtube i had looked Patrick. he was a guest a while back mm-hmm. yeah I, I i really love his research i think it's super inspirational and uh, i highly recommend that you check it out if uh, if you haven't already but i was i was somewhat familiar uh with frex finance but not like 100 percent in depth with the different mechanisms and how frex worked etc and I believe there he also talked about, or perhaps it was somewhere else I saw it, but this stablecoin trilemma with stablecoins, like both needing to be decentralized, uh, have peg stability, and also have scalability. And we've seen a lot of different designs of stablecoins, and especially these decentralized stablecoins, where they really focus on scaling. And we, we saw this with UST, the peg stability they didn't quite manage. I I believe we can all agree on that. Uh, and on the other hand, we have seen other stable coins really the trying- The proof is for in the the, the proof is
1: on chain yeah. <laughs> for,
2: mm-hmm. for Luna. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, and for other stable coins, we've seen this over collateralized approach, um, which in most cases aren't as scalable. And in my opinion, Frax Finance is building the stable coin that it has, is the closest to fulfilling this stable coin trilemma. Another thing that really stuck with me from the, from the video with taiki was the emphasis on one of the most important things when it comes to especially these decentralized stable coins is on chain liquidity because without liquidity on chain well there is very little stability for the peg because you can't really arbitrage it etc and where do decentralized stable coins go to attract liquidity well to the largest largest stable coin amm which is curve finance of course and then i've began like diving into the whole um all of the mechanisms with curve finance and got into okay well if new stable coins they want to create a liquidity pool on curve finance well they need to pair it up with this so-called base pool which at the time was this three curve which is used to UST see and i and correct me if i'm wrong in any of this but i'll just quickly I guess, explain my understanding of this curve based pool. So new stablecoin projects, they they want to get deep liquidity to ensure uh, peg stability on their stablecoin. They go to Curve Finance to create a liquidity pool. They had to pair it up with 3Curve. And then they could have these V-curve emissions to the pool to have some yield, to attract liquidity, to create more peg stability. And then we saw this partnership with Frax Finance and Curve last year, which I think is super cool. And what really also got me doing more research on Frax and what really sparked my interest, which is this Frax base pool on Curve made up of the Frax stablecoin and USDC. So now new stablecoin projects have the ability to either, okay, I want to create deep liquidity on Curve. What? base pool do I pair up my new stablecoin with? Do I pair it up with 3Curve or do I pair it up with FRAX BP? And obviously you wanna go with the base pool where you can get the highest yield because higher yield equals more TVL, which equals deeper liquidity, which at the end of the day creates more flexibility. And that that's where this whole flywheel flywheel really comes into the picture, in my opinion, with Convex Finance and with Frags Finance, who are the largest holders of the Convex token. Therefore, at the end of the day, they have a lot of they have a lot to say when it comes to where these curve emissions should go to. And I'm not entirely sure uh, about the yields currently, but I believe the idea is that there is a higher yield for these stable coins if they pair up with the FRAX base pool. And therefore, there is just more incentives to pair up here. And that will, of course, create more demand for the FRAX stable coin.
0: You nailed it. You, you totally nailed it. <laughs> the podcast is over. <laughs> he, i'm glad yeah
1: definitely done your homework <laughs> respect uh kit what are your thoughts you have any questions so far
0: no, uh no I'm, I'm just very fascinated of like his journey of going from safe moon to frax um <laughs> I, I almost wanted to ask like if you were to apply your framework the thor framework to safe moon you know, how was their marketing, how was the product market fit, how is all that stuff? Where would you kind of end up? Um, but I'm obviously not going to ask that. I, I do want to get your um, thoughts on like, what tools are you using when you're evaluating these projects? Because I see you go quite deep in, in, in some of these.
2: Yeah. So that's a super great question. And I, I feel like there's a lot of different approaches you can can go with. So something I've been diving into more recently have been like looking at a specific token and look at the largest holders. So like look at the, the owner base, like what wallets are holding these tokens? Have they transferred or bought recently? When did they invest? Because that can give you an idea of what is likely to happen with, with the circulating supply uh in the future and there are there are a lot of different great tools for that another approach is also to look at the token treasury also to to like return a bit back to to what we talked about before what also differentiates a good protocol from from a bad protocol i guess you can say is also runway and a large token treasury Hmm. and and that's also something i've been diving into a lot over on twitter especially looking at what is the token treasury made up of, and how large is it? Uh, is the protocol actually generating positive earnings? Is it generating revenue that is going to this treasury? Looking at the runway, there was also a lot of talk about like Sushi Swap uh, a few months back, where it was like, okay, there is perhaps only like a few years runway at best because of the treasury, and that's also one of the beauties with with blockchain: the ability for a normal guy like me to just go on chain look at either scan or AbiScan scan or whatever look at the token holders being able to find the treasury find a wallet and literally be able to see all of the transactions that that wallet has ever done i think that is really really fantastic and there are some really great tools that are free out there i use token terminal a lot they just recently have this new um like dashboard where they display like quarterly earnings and revenue and fees, where you're also able to see like, what are the definitions for all of these? And I think that's all that also creates a lot of clarification for a lot of investors. So when they look at Ethereum, for example, they can see that, okay, the revenue is actually the fees being generated by uh, transactions on chain, minus the amount of ETH, ETH that is going to validators, etc., And okay, the revenue is then equal to the amount of eth that is burned what about the earnings well the earnings is equal to the revenue minus the inflation of eth and after the switch to proof stake with the merge we've now seen ethereum with positive earnings because the inflation has been decreased we have seen this burn of ethereum etc this is just one example of how you can use these on-chain data tools but i think that's super fascinating And I really like the fact that you can track these on a daily basis. You don't have to wait for quarterly earnings from a company to see how the financials are doing. And like 99% of all of this is available for free online, which, so if, if you have the appetite to learn, if you're willing to do the research, like you can really, really get far just by yourself.
1: Yeah. I want to ask you about... Uh, different projects treasuries because I think that's a point that's often overlooked and mm-hmm. it's probably the most mismanaged part of projects I've seen because you will have like a team of great devs or great BD people but they don't know how to manage a treasury that's a whole task in itself and they usually make the mistake of having it mostly in their own native token or something else um, what are some trends you've noticed with treasuries
2: uh, from your research so what I've noticed is that I think protocols take treasuries more seriously in a bear market than they do in the bull market. I think they're much more willing to spend money in a bull market and don't necessarily see the possibility or didn't back in in 2021 and the beginning of 2022, the possibility of a major drawdown where suddenly the token treasury is worth one-eighth of what it was before. And therefore, it's probably not a good idea to go spend 60% of it right now on different uh, Web2 partnerships or something like that. Um, And I'm not saying that there necessarily is something wrong with a token treasury being in the uh, native utility token only. It just makes it super difficult to calculate the runway because for example, Uniswap has a token treasury of like $3 billion, which is insanely high, but that is 100% the unit token. So, I mean, if the unit token was to drop 70%, well, then the when then the runway would like decrease significantly, right? So it's super difficult to get a proper sense of the runway if there is not like this holding of other tokens or specifically stable coins. And there is, I think there's also some issues with it only being the native token, because if they're actually, if they have to sell some of these tokens, I think that can send a bad message to the community. Not that it should, but I think we've seen historically on Twitter that like it's quite bearish when the project has to sell some of their tokens to ensure a proper runway. And that's just super unfortunate in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it depends. Or you can make the argument like, it's for diversification um i remember back a few years ago sushi wanted to raise around in the summer of 2021 at peak sushi uh they announced trident it, everybody was hyped about sushi and they were going to raise around but the community was very against it selling tokens from the treasury uh, in hindsight they would have benefited from it a lot but hindsight's 2020. Um, and mm-hmm. then i remember seeing back in the summer lido sold some of their tokens in June or July uh, are they offered I'm not sure if that went through they sold them to Dragonfly or something but you see it's usually it it shouldn't be perceived as negative they're just diversifying but oftentimes it is it's like oh why are you selling your token like oh it's worth this this and that And I feel like when it comes to token treasuries it's you should handle it you should give it to professionals to handle I'm not sure what your thoughts are about it are
2: I think it's interesting that you're saying that it should be professionals that handle it because I think that also presents an interesting question in terms of DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations, in terms of who should be the people that control, for example, the treasury, what the money should be spent on to ensure that there is proper runway. Because on one hand, we're all for decentralization, right, with democratizing these protocols and we have this uh DAO where token holders they they vote on what should happen with for example the treasury and other on the other hand we also want to make sure that the people making these decisions also have some knowledge in financial, for example right so I, I yeah. think that's a let, quite let me uh, clar-
1: I, yeah I want to clarify my position but I think the DAO should always like be like the final check like you know nothing like gets past the DAO um but like in terms of like you know man- like day-to-day management. But like, if there's anything, there's always the DAO is that like final check, but like in terms of like managing the treasury, you know, it's hard to have like a whole DAO manage a single treasury. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, let me finish your, i let you finish your point.
2: No, I think was uh, I was done with it actually.
1: Okay. Kit, what are your thoughts?
2: For me,
0: I feel... The treasury is one bit of it, but the other side of the coin is the actual expense reporting and accounting, which I feel is quite difficult to track. And the project doesn't blatantly drop like, Hey, at the end of the month, this is how much we spent. Right. I think that number is kind of more critical than the treasury because frankly, some of these like DeFi teams, they're quite nimble, you know, their, their burn rate, you know, from the outside shouldn't be so drastically high. And the treasury is usually in the, you know, tens of millions plus. So I feel like they could survive through the next two years before, you know, two to three years of the bear market. But we don't know the expenses because nobody freaking reports it. So then now, now we're just kind estimating. You know
1: who does? You know who do? does? <laughs> uh, MakerDAO. MakerDAO came up with their report, actually, a few weeks ago.
0: Did you see that? Oh, I did not see yeah. that. I knew, I knew Yearn did like a while back, but they Year stopped it. doing this since like Q2 of uh, 2022 or something like that. Yeah, MakerDad
1: did a whole thing for 2022. Um, yeah. You know, and you could take a hard... I feel like, I mean, this is something that should, that I'm sure will become habit of protocols as more people demand them. Um, hell, we did it at Flywheel when we applied for a grant. We were like, this is where we spent our money mm-hmm. and this is where in the future, this is where we, where we plan to spend our money as well like after we get the grant and you know i since we're getting funded by a DAO, uh we're going to continue being audited like a DAO, um and be transparent so i feel like that'll just become commonplace for DAOs in the future but it, it all depends how much the community demands it like hey maybe some mm-hmm. communities are like we just want token to go up we don't care how you spend the money and other ones and those are probably the ones you, you should run away from <laughs> but there are other ones that are like okay like how is you know our treasury actually being spent
2: And just to add to that, I mean, there are some costs that we can track on chain, right? So if we look at a protocol and see how many fees they're generating, then they are Mm -hmm. probably also giving a lot of these fees to liquidity providers. In some instances, Mm -hmm. it's all of it. In some instances, it's a portion of it. So that's like they are paying for liquidity, I guess you can say. And then you can also Mm -hmm. say that the inflation of the native uh, governance token, that's also a cost. That's something that they inflate to attract liquidity. And mm-hmm. if after that, when they have received the fees, after they have paid for liquidity, they have paid to for emitting their tokens to attract even more liquidity, if they still have money after that, or i.e. positive earnings, well, then that's a good sign, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And, some, and something else that isn't accounted for is what if they raise money off-chain? Like, what if they, you know... That maybe that like all the thing off-chain like,
2: experience expenses yeah. we cannot really track
0: correct yeah like, I-, I feel that to me is more of the crux of it right because all the on-chain stuff is like you said completely trackable and you kind of could deduce it but if they are completely just frivolous off-chain right? Hosting like say $50,000 conference events, you know, flying, you know, business or first to every single conference all over the world. Like these are spendings that we have no idea. And I'm sure in the bull market, you know, I've, I've, I've been to some, they've been to some quite extravagant, you know, uh, conference events that were just like, wow, someone's paying for this, (laughs) you know, gold token
1: holders. (laughs) Whenever I saw champagne at the end of the hackathon, I'm like, this is the top. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> like, the more extravagance, usually, you know, it's, it's just easy. Like, it's easy to tell, like, especially if you've been in it for, like, one. If for everybody who's this is your first cycle, if you're around for another cycle, you're going to notice a lot of patterns and history doesn't repeat. It rhymes. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I can't yeah, you about this. That's also something? how you're able yeah, to avoid I the make one ask... because
2: a lot of the patterns are just, yeah. like, the same every time and you see some of these unsustainable token emissions or then there is a large burn fee if you're trying to unstake or something like that and i don't want to bash on any specific projects of mm-hmm. course but you start to see these patterns of you as you've been in the space for a longer time and that also helps you navigate a lot of these uh, quote-unquote bad actors in the space
0: yeah um, I, I agree with you there, but I, I want to quickly shift the topic to um, Arbitrum because I know you've been quite active in the researching in that phase. And I also follow your um, portfolio as well, too, that you Unnested. so publicly share, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is great. And so I, I wanted to get your take. How did you kind of discover Arbitrum and what made you decide to be like, yes, this is the ecosystem that I'm going to triple double down on because frankly there's there's quite a few of of ecosystem that you could have chosen but why did you go with rb
2: so i was on a lot of different blockchains in the beginning of 2022 i was doing a bit of on on terra i was doing a lot on avalanche and phantom on polygon on a bit on Ethereum mm-hmm. mainnet, but the fees were so high back then. So it was it was quite unsustainable. Like you weren't really mm-hmm. incentivized to deposit into a liquidity pool because you would have to wait half a year for mm-hmm. the fees to even, the gas fees to even be earned back. And so after we entered the bear market, after the collapse of Terra, I guess how I started using Arbitrum was simply just because there was so much to do there. Like it wasn't really an active decision. It was more just, There's a lot of innovation happening here. Protocols like GMX began popping up. So since like June, July, 2022, I was just spending a lot of my time on Arbitrum because previously a lot of people, including me had been priced out of Ethereum because of the super high fees. Of course they had dropped down a bit after the, we, the entrance of the bear market, but Arbitrum delivered a lot of what Ethereum delivers just at a much more accessible cost. And so there's there's just been constant innovation on the chain for the past year. So it's just been natural for me to just spend a lot of time there because there's been so much to do. And I've just had a ton of fun on Arbitrum. And that's also why I continue to talk about the chain because we are just seeing a sustainable grow in demand. Some other chains, we, are see, we have seen these huge spikes in daily active users or huge spikes in in cvl and then after a potential airdrop or something like that well then the f- then the daily amount of users and the daily amount of wallets interacting with the chain they just suddenly drop 80 percent Trump doesn't have a token i do believe that some part of the on-chain activity on arbitram happening right now is because of an anticipation of an airdrop you shouldn't exclude that however i think that they are doing we can see that there is more natural demand also just because of the many protocols launching there the many users and from a user perspective i mean i use defi a lot on a day to day basis there is so much to do on arbitrum there are so many different protocols building innovative stuff so i guess that's just why i've i've been spending so much time in the ecosystem and have been for the past year or so i mean i started to i started creating videos on arbitrum in june or july last year and when they had the Arbitrum odyssey made videos and how you could become eligible for the airdrop now one and a half years later we're still waiting uh, but someday perhaps <laughs> soon tm
1: it's the meta um, strategy of like oh airdrop we're gonna have airdrop but just it's a carrot being dangled mm. i remember when joe lubin tweeted like literally the cash tag meta and was like whoa or like ma- no hashtag ma- like the hashtag mask it was like, oh it's mm. coming and then just you know it's the perfect yeah. tease or anything oh like we're mm. gonna like gonna have an airdrop because like once you have that airdrop it's over it's mm-hmm. over it's like yeah, there's no the carrot's gone the carrot's been taken from the stick
0: but I, I think thor brought up a good point It's like even though everybody they came for the airdrop but they stayed for the innovation because i feel like even if they the stayed for the good too- wholesome fun Yeah, it it really is. And Thor, you said you were using kind of Arbitrum and DeFi on the daily. Could you walk me through what are some things that, that you are doing on Arby?
2: Sure. So I really love to test out new DeFi strategies, try out new DeFi protocols, especially also when I'm doing research about current protocols, like if I want to do a deep dive on Picks, for example, or some other DeFi protocol on Arbitrum, I want to try out all of the different features if I haven't already. Mm. And the great thing about that is that, okay, I can actually try out this protocol without having to deposit a lot of money because it literally costs a cent to do a transaction. And that's what's so great about mm-hmm. it. So that's, that's what a lot of my on-chain transactions are on a day-to-day basis. And then also I have some different farming positions. Do some swaps on Uniswap, etc.
0: Got it. H- have you tried any of like the uh, Vela or GMX or? Because I feel a lot of financial innovation is happening on Arbitrum. All the option stuff, all the perp stuff. Have Have you messed around with any
2: of those things? A hundred percent. So, and I guess I've I've been more on the liquidity provision side rather than the trading itself. Mm-hmm. I think I have come mm-hmm. to the conclusion that my edge is not in short-term trading and identifying "quote unquote" narratives with solidly forked, suddenly popping up, or then the day after it's Chinese comes Chinese coins that you need to be longing. Like I, I'm, I'm quite busy <laughs> with with doing research, writing threads, trying to to keep ahead in school as well. So uh-huh. sitting and trading all day. I mean, I I simply do not have the time. And therefore, I don't have an edge there. So of course, I've, I've been trading a bit on chain, but like GLP, I've been a big fan of that for like for more than a year by now. And like providing liquidity to, to a lot of these different protocols that actually have good demand, they're generating like great fees. And they're also distributing a lot of this to liquidity providers. That's also something that excites me a lot in the Arbitrum ecosystem currently. and yeah.
0: i i wanted to ask uh, we we have a list of questions here and this was a perfect segue into narratives right like you know you are heads down researching and not being bogged down by the current narrative as i'd imagine you are researching on what's the narrative to come right so what are some of the narratives you think are going to be shaping up whether it be next year next cycle what's what's exciting to you right now
2: mhm so i'd like i don't really love the word narrative because i feel like everyone has their own definition of what a narrative is so a lot of people on twitter they talk about the chinese coin narrative or the the solidly fork narrative and there is a lot of unsustainable pump and dump projects that are benefiting off of this and that's not really what i want to spend my time on researching because it fades often in a few days or a few weeks Rather, what I think is super interesting is like looking at some of the technical innovations that are being built when looking a year or two into the future. So I think uh, roll-up expansion is super, super interesting, like especially serial knowledge roll-ups, the roadmap for optimism with creating this op stack with modularity. I think that's really exciting, something I've also been diving into more recently. And that's, I guess that what is what I would define as narratives instead, because they are more long-term and actually have an impact on the space. These are some of the solutions that are necessary for to create this cheap block space. If we are to onboard a billion users, we need two things. We need a lot of cheap block space where we still have high security and decentralization. So if we can have this, yeah, security and decentralization from, for example, Ethereum, but we can also have cheap block space on these rollups. That's super exciting. That's like one part of it. The other part is that we also need the dApps to attract all of these users because we also need demand for this block space in the first place, right? And and in that sense, I think that rollups are super, super interesting. Like we're seeing all of these CK EVMs that are just around the corner. I think mm-hmm. it's a bit, perhaps a bit too soon to bet on it like reaching as large of an adoption as we have seen with Optrum and to some extent also optimism here in the upcoming months. I think it will take time for this technology to really like just be ready for broader adoption. But I think it's super interesting. I've also been diving into modularity a bit more, looking at like mm. rollups, having their data availability on another chain and, having these different blockchains that are specifically handing, handling execution or settlement, or we have a data availability layer, etc. I think that's, that's also super exciting. Have you
1: looked into Eigenlayer at all, at all?
2: I have, and I actually listened to, uh, to the podcast on, on Flywheel and really, really enjoyed it. And one thing that also stood <laughs> stu- stuck by me w- on that podcast was separating innovation and uh i believe it was uh, security right mm-hmm. because that just creates a really low entrance barrier for pride minds and a lot of innovation and that's also a part of like the whole crypto space that i think is uh, is super cool and so just to round off the question some other narratives that i also think are quite interesting to look forward in the future is of course the expansion of stable coins and especially decentralized stable coins i'm excited to see a lot of these different solutions being developed right now we're also seeing some other stable coins like uh, curves native stable coin and ave is also developing their own stable mm-hmm. coin as well i also think that digital identities is a really really big use case but super difficult to get right like if you can have a proper digital identity that for example would allow me to have like access under collateralized lending, for example, that would like be so so big unlocks so so much capital. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. my bank would not really allow me to take any kind of good loan because I do YouTube and Twitter talk about blockchain. I mean that's not really like a proper job in their eyes. So being able to have these options on chain, I think that would be uh, that would be fantastic.
1: Yeah, I think when it comes to digital identity, a lot of things still need to be developed on that front, whether it's account abstraction, um, you know, whether it's, you know, ways to, I guess, parse through certain accounts. And like, what if you're going to give an under loan to an anon? How do you know if like this person doesn't have another account and is going to, you know, screw over the, the loan? There's a lot of things to consider there, but whoever can unlock uncollateralized lending, like that is a goldmine. And hell, maybe it's Fraxland, um, you know, with these like custom term sheets. You know, who knows? I what do I know?
2: <laughs> Definitely um, super interesting. I, also with like soul bound NFTs and stuff like that, right? Hmm.
0: Yeah. Um. So I actually wanted to take a step back from all this narrative, like saying it's you know, you do all this research and you dig so deep and you, you have very thoughtful reflections and considerations, but deep down when you have to actually degen and ape into something, how do you capitalize capitalize on all of this, like wealth of knowledge? Like, Oh my God. Okay. First narrative you said was, or tech innovation. Let's, let's rebrand narrative to tech innovation. First tech innovation roll up as a service. Boom. Second, uh, and innovation modularity, you know, then the third one is decentralized stable coins, right? So how do you kind of act on all of these insights that you've accrued over your research?
2: Yeah, I don't think I take enough advantage of the amount of time I spend in the space. I think historically, I've really been battling with like, my emotions and how they apply to investing because then you have the FTX collapse, and you're just questioning whether or not you it's it's proper to spend so much time <laughs> in what point, seems to be point. a clown industry like what am i even doing uh, and is crypto actually mm. dead and i still have these long-term theses and like these these larger new, uh, use cases with stable coins and i also like last year we've we saw this proper demand with decentralized perpetual exchanges like GMX. They they actually attracted proper demand in a bear market so those that was also like a position that i was quite bullish on and then when we flip bullish and we see small price appreciation then i'm like okay i just i need to take some profit because this base is too crazy and then as soon as i sell everything goes up like 300 right and then you're sitting on the sidelines. it always happens yeah, like that every yeah. time and you're sitting thinking like what what am i doing what am i doing wrong yeah. um so when i really want to degen i i um i spend some time on arbitrum and i scroll all the way down on defi llama right and i just buy the 10 lowest uh, <laughs> to, uh <laughs> i don't do that but but i guess like capitalizing on on there are so many new launches on arbitrum and other blockchains all the time so like trying to be early to some of the products where i can see that they have the right idea and the team seems cool etc then I uh, then I teach in a bit in that sense I guess
1: yeah give mm-hmm. the team a proper vibe check uh you know mm-hmm. see you know seeing and you mentioned in the beginning uh you look at marketing but you describe it as not cringe marketing so what is your to you like what is proper marketing for a DeFi project?
2: Well that's a good question and I think there are many different approaches but I think I believe that. The the marketing strategies I've seen that has done well so far has been organic and the protocols that have a good product, they don't really need to rely that much on marketing because the product speaks for itself and it is more easy for a community to develop if there is actual demand around the protocol and the product, right? And so a lot of marketing will just happen organically. And that's the kind of marketing I really want to see in a project. Like, then you know that, okay, this this is something that you should keep an eye on because there is likely some potential here.
1: Organic, that's the key word. Because it just develops naturally around it. And that's how you get long-term stakeholders in your project. And that's what we see with Frax. And this is kind of how Flywheel came about. This is all organic.
0: Mm-hmm. And And Thor, have you ever, you know... Because of your, I, I guess another word for it is like your status as a content creator and, and, and your following count. Did you find it easier for you to access projects when you reach out to them to like, hey, I want to learn more and things of that nature? Are founders more inclined to kind of talk to you?
2: A hundred percent. And that's something that especially I've experienced recently as my following count has grown simply. Like when you text a a protocol Twitter account or a founder, they are more inclined to respond to you because perhaps they check out some of the threads, some of the work I've done, or they just look at the follower account. And that's great. And that also makes it more possible to, to provide good content to your audience, I guess. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. and, And that was exactly my lead up to it is how you're able to use this access, but then you kind of democratizes it and then provide it in these like really, really thorough analysis of these projects. And you just kind of put it out there, like what pushed you to or rather what what motivated you to create content in the first place and to keep on adding value to the community?
2: Mm -hmm. So I've always been fascinated by YouTube and I've had 10 different channels since I was 10 years old, I believe. And wow. so I I started making videos as I mentioned on finance and then pivoted into crypto quite quickly. And then I really came to the realization that it was a super super great great way for me to learn about the space and for anyone who's serious about doing something in crypto, I highly suggest that you put your content out there whether it's a Substack article, a Twitter thread or a YouTube video whatever it's it's super great because you get your thoughts out there you make sure that you actually research the stuff that you're talking about hopefully and that really elevates your knowledge and also you get to connect with like-minded people then you there's some really really clever person that you end up talking with who gives you a lot of perspective a lot of insight that you can use for your own research and that's also what makes this industry industry super super fun to be in
1: Yeah, I will second that. Um, The best way I learned about crypto when I first started was just blogging and writing. Like, that's the normal way to learn. And if this is a public announcement, if any public service announcement, if anybody in the Flywheel community wants to write about Frax or write about DeFi or has any perspective on that, we will give you a platform on Flywheel. Like, hit us up. We would love to have your content and, like, just PSA. Um, And so, Thor, where do you see your channel going in the future? Like, where do you wanna take your channel?
2: I want to continue talking about the stuff that I find interesting in the space. So what that will be in two or three years, I have no idea. Currently, I spend a lot more time on Twitter than I do on YouTube because it is less time consuming. And when I'm also busy with exams, for example, when well, then there's simply just more time for Twitter. But I want to continue to have this data-driven approach to my analysis, and hopefully, I'll be able to continue deliver to deliver value, whatever however that will look to uh, to to my followers both on uh, on Twitter and YouTube in the future. Do you see
1: yourself continuing being in media, or do you see yourself ever jumping in and working hands on with the project, whether it's doing BD or marketing or something else?
2: I would definitely love to work more close handed with a protocol in the future. Whether it's yeah being PD or being a part of starting up something, I am in this space for the long term. I think there is so much potential, and I'm just honestly in way too deep at this point. Like there is no turning back, and I and I really love it. Yeah, <laughs> <I love it. laughs> <laughs> really um, you're, you're
1: and I'm you're in the Hotel California t- phase of it. You're like once you come in, you can never leave.
2: Yeah, and and I. <laughs> don't just love it because we've seen positive uh prizes here in 2023 i, I really love the space and I, and i'm really in love with with the communities and as i learn more from from university i want to also dive into more of the tech side and start to to program my my own defi protocols in the future at some point uh, oh man so, a-
1: so let's get what do you what else do you love about the crypto space why are you here why are you locked in like why why have you decided that
2: i love to create content and i think with a lot of things whatever it is whether it's sports or it's math or it's programming or it's creating content on twitter when you really become engulfed in something and you start to become better at it it also becomes much more interesting and much more fun all of a sudden i'm sure you have also experienced this sometime at some point in your life and I really love to connect with people in the space and it's difficult to describe, but there's just, there's so many use cases. There is so much room for innovation in this industry. Like th- there's just so many parts where I think I would love to, to try and build a product that actually solves a real problem in this industry. Like for example, stablecoins. I think that's, that's so interesting. And so being a part of this industry, that's still, so, still so brand new also really presents a lot of opportunities
0: man i'm just sitting here and i love these questions from dave because we want more you know the younger folks like yourself coming into the community but also being very active and contributing in the community so what do you tell your friends what you do like did you even (laughs) tell them (laughs)
2: I don't. do they understand <laughs> no you don't no yeah no they, they really no. don't and it's uh it's also difficult because there is a very i have a very different opinion of crypto and DeFi than people who just have heard about like the main news stories right mm-hmm. so when i talk to my friend about crypto who has never been into the space he imme- immediately thinks of three things he thinks of dogecoin Things of the Terra collapse, any things of FTX, and I don't really want to associate what I'm doing or the potential of the industry, right. what we're building, with like especially like the the FTX collapse, like a catastrophic event. There is so much more going on behind the curtains, but it is also very technical. It is a very new industry, and that's also why there are so much there is so much opportunity for innovation because it is difficult to enter Mm -hmm. because there's still, there's just so much you need to grasp.
1: Yeah. How can, um, following up on that question, how can Ethereum and DeFi and the real builders do a better job separating themselves from the Doge coins, from the meme coins, you know, from the Lunas and this and that, like, how, how
2: do you think that could be done? I think with time, what we will see is sustainable products with a good product market fit and actual demand will be the protocols to attract the next million, 10 million, 100 million users. And to break down the complexity of the space, what what has also fascinated me recently has also been some of these more DeFi-light kind of features on some DeFi protocols. I think that's also quite interesting I've also been diving a bit into OpFi, which was coined by the Dopex team, which is options integrated in finance because options are inherently quite difficult to grasp, Mm -hmm. but there are so so many possibilities with these products. So if they can be integrated in a more seamless way into DeFi, that also opens up a lot of possibilities for the more general amount of investors in the space. Yeah, let's get into OptionFi, OpFi.
1: Because that's something that's been a topic of discussion here on Flywheel. We had the GammaSwap guys on, and me and Kit have gone back and forth about it. Um, what What is Opfi like? What are and how do you see those getting adopted? And other than DopeX, are there any other
2: protocols that you've seen that you liked? So there are probably a lot more people, uh, a lot of people, a lot of people that are more knowledge, knowledgeable about this than me. However, I've yeah. been diving into it a bit recently. And yeah gamma is is quite interesting like the ability to short uh, to to long volatility be like the other side of the liquidity providers in these liquidity pools and i think dopex has done a quite good job at building some of these options products that have also like their ui and ux makes it a bit more easy to, to actually use and understand. On the other hand, there is a protocol like Lyra Finance, which I think is super cool, which is more like more, more like presents basic options investment tools, which is also like quite cool. But I, th- I think especially Dopex are building some some quite interesting products here.
1: What do you see Dopex building?
2: So they have integrated with with Jones Dow, um, a wild bag, and like they're, they're <laughs> the, the hat, hat. exactly, yeah. um, and they just released this DopeX V2 RDPX V2, which I haven't dive too much into yet. But I'm also that's also scheduled, uh, which which I want to dive more in depth with. But like the ability to create synthetic assets on DopeX that will also generate more yield for the protocol, and that can also be integrated into these options. There is single staking options vaults is also something that makes it easier to use options because you simply just stake into these vaults and you can earn a yield. Of course, you need to also be familiar familiarize yourself with what is actually happening uh, behind the curtains. Hmm.
1: What is you, what do what is usually happening behind the curtains? Like what should people look for if they're going to deposit in an options vault?
2: Well, I guess this goes for not only not only options vaults, but like you need to know exactly what's happening with your money so like if it's um A put option or a call option, like you're, you're essentially buying the token at a specific price in the future or selling it at a specific price in the future. Just like when you are depositing into a liquidity pool, you should be familiar with how impermanent loss works and okay, if the price increases significantly on one of the assets there is this phenomena of impermanent loss because one of the assets will gradually be converted into the other to maintain this 50 50 uh, dollar split balance so so stuff like that is something that you of course need to familiarize yourself with um, before you just even because you see a high api that seems super lucrative
1: yeah i think it's a combination of you know if people are going to use these advanced products They need to know what they're getting into. But on the other side, products can do a better job of explaining what is going on behind the scenes. I think a lot of Mm. times people, I mean, it's a balance they can have between simplicity, but also being able to explain in detail what's going on. It's a delicate balance. It's like walking a tightrope. Kit, what are your thoughts on that?
0: I just find it funny that, you know, we're talking about how to bring more people into Defi and crypto and then we decided to go to the deep end of the financial <laughs> spectrum and be like let's talk about options <laughs> chain options actually <laughs> Which like, is like, okay, the I'm hardest
1: not... part yeah the most advanced part of finance let alone yeah. like is options like it, i'm still like trying to wrap my head around it and it's just something i wouldn't use lightly because options is one of those things if you know how to use them like they can definitely do very well but if you don't know how you can lo- if you don't know how to use them then you just get wrecked and you get wrecked in a bigger way.
0: 100%. Yeah, and so I actually wanted to ask you more about your, you know, take a step. This is a FRAC centric stable coin after all. And I, would, you know, one of the technical innovations that you mentioned earlier was decentralized stable coins. So what is your take on say Curve USD or Aave GHO? how they're kind of very mimicking frax's holy trinity stack
1: and then die mm-hmm. <laughs> die with, the, and just, then with die. everything they're releasing
0: yeah oh well,
1: um, yeah let's go to go and spark die yeah yeah, so, yeah go and i CR-V think USD. I, yeah
2: go i on. think they're like both V usd and go are both quite interesting stable coins i'm still not entirely familiar with all of the different mechanics but with Curve usd They have this LAMA or lending liquidation AMM algorithm with these Mm. partial uh, liquidations of loans, which is supposed to to create more capital efficiency. And supposedly there will be these curve pools that are backing the stablecoin. I think it's going going to be super interesting to see whether or not this will attract more liquidity to Curve. Uh, and stuff like that, and then we also have go on Ave, which perhaps will also create more utility for the Ave token. There are these facilitators who will con- be controlling the supply. Where in the beginning it will just be the Ave fo- Foundation, where based on demand they can mint or they can burn this go stablecoin, and then via governance there can be new facilitators. Perhaps other protocols or something like that, where they also have a say as to how the supply should be managed of Go to ensure this peg stability. Whether or not this will work when, if the stablecoin was to hit, for example, like a $50 billion market cap, I think it's difficult to say, but I think it's definitely some quite interesting approaches.
1: Yeah. CRV USD fascinates me for sure, um, and I think you know. Going back to our conversation last week, Kit with DeFi Cheetah, when he was talking about Curve is the AMM for stablecoin price discovery. If you want to find the price of a stablecoin, if a stablecoin is pegged, you go to Curve, and I think that gives it such a huge advantage when it comes to Llama because it gives it much more power. It gives it much more power as uh, as collateral if it's if the collateral is also you know used as. Per- price discovery as an amm you know what I, does that make sense
0: yeah because it pulls yeah. on itself for its price it doesn't rely yeah. on someone else to tell you it what its price is um but i, I wanted to dig a, a bit more into like the landscape how do you feel the landscape of decentralized stable coins would change once because you know ave super recognizable name curve critical into the flywheel like these are not some nice brand name stable coins that's being released. Like, do you think it's a, you know, parts sum together is greater than the whole, or do you think we're all going to compete away each other's as market share?
2: I think it's definitely the first part that they will benefit each other. I think that stable coins and decentralized stable coins is such a huge use case in crypto that can onboard so many users that there is a hundred percent space for multiple decentralized stable coins to flourish and grow huge market caps and right now we are on the stage where last year we saw how decentralized stable coins really can be designed in a um, problematic way and there were so many people who really got burned and we also saw that frax finance was impacted quite badly by this simply because it was algorithmic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i think in the industry we need to have more trust in decentralized stable coins as a whole and if we are seeing new entrants like curve finance or the Aave protocol, where there is more recognized trust here. If they're able to successfully onboard more people to their decentralized stablecoins, I think that will create a more general trust in decentralized stablecoins overall, which in the broader picture will benefit Frex Finance positively. That's how I see it, at least.
1: Yeah, all these stablecoins need to stay pegged to something. And there is a baseball out there. So I agree with you on your sentiment that things are positive. Some... And, like, each stablecoin serves its own niche, you know, Aave with their facilitators, CRBUSD with Llama, Frax, you know, keeping doing on their thing. And I want to get into the other stablecoins in the Frax ecosystem. Um, What are your thoughts on FPI? We saw the uh, VE FPIS launch this week. Um, It is the only CPI stablecoin out there, to my knowledge, that's still live. Um, And I just want to get your thoughts on that and, you know, how this kind of plays into both inflation and the regulatory environment that we see in the us and worldwide
2: sure so yeah the fbi i guess that's like the real inflation hedge right because it actually benefits from from the cpi going up uh and i think it also really goes to show that frax finance is building this whole ecosystem with a suite of products like to not only benefit the Frax the stablecoin, but also create all of these different use cases. Like we've also seen recently, uh, staked Frax Ethereum, etc., which is also like created an additional revenue stream for Frax Finance. And we like just Frax lend, Frax swap, etc., creates a lot of utility for the Frax stablecoin as well. And with FPI, I mean that's just another product that can generate revenue to frax finance and creates yet another like positive use case for the protocol so without having like researched it as much as the frax stablecoin itself i think it's super interesting and i definitely think that there will be more demand in the future as we onboard more people into the DeFi space like being able to hit yourself on inflation is something that's super super relevant and also seems like a product with actual like product market fit
1: Natural, definitely natural product market fit. Yeah, I was going to ask also, um, going back to you a little bit, how do you balance uh, having this growing content platform, whether it's your YouTube channel or your Twitter, with going to school and classes and exams and everything?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's super difficult also because like, <laughs> I, I also want to, to, I really love working out and running as well. And I love to spend time with, my family and my girlfriend and my friends. So time efficiency is something that I really prioritize. And I I really live by the 80-20 rule being that 20% Mm -hmm. of your input creates 80% of your results. So with with like trying to balance everything, I just, when I do something, I try to do it a hundred percent. When I am at uni, I try to focus, learn as much as possible so that when I get home, I actually have time to do some research write a twitter thread etc have half an hour to hit the gym or something like that and then like right now i've taken a small break from uni to go travel experience the world but also to have some more time creating twitter threads getting deeper into the space i feel like a lot of my recent threads where i've gone in depth with on-chain analysis looking at The different crypto VCs and their top wallets, what tokens have they invested in. These are some threats that take a very long time to research. And there are some, like, it's just, there are some threats that I wouldn't have time to do if I was also busy with studying for the exams. So Mm -hmm. it's all about prioritizing and acknowledging that in some periods you need to prioritize something over the others, like. If you have exams, then you need to scale a bit down on the research. And when you have less, when you're less busy with school, then you can scale up on, um, on actually do speaking with like, other people and doing some research.
1: Do you feel like you do this prioritizing quite naturally, or do you have a, a system that you learned over time on how to prioritize, how, how to fit everything in, you know, research, school, family, friends, girl, this and that.
2: I have some very extensive to-do lists both on a daily and weekly and monthly basis, because there is so much stuff that I want to do and I'll simply just not have time for it if I don't efficiently manage my time. So every day mm-hmm. I try to lay out what is it I want to accomplish today. So I have time for the other things for the remaining parts of, uh, of this week.
1: Yeah. There's actually something i my friend, uh, Charlie, uh, referred me to, uh, it's a type of to-do list. It's called GTD, which stands for get things done. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it, but it's great. I've been using it for like the past two weeks and it's made me a hell of more efficient. And I am awful at being that. So like this, and the fact that I'm still sticking with it says a lot, but, um, it basically just takes your to-do list and kind of puts it in different categories and gives you like next action steps, this and that. I feel like that would be something that, I mean, it sounds like you have it all under control, but I'll send you a link to it after the show. I think you would be Yeah, I'd love
2: that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thor, I, I also want to get to know you a bit more too. I I've, I've see a lot of um, Japanese influences in your thumbnail pictures, right? From your Twitter banner to all of your, the, the threads that you post, you know, could, could you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah. I, I'm not sure there is a deeper meaning to it other than I feel like the pictures look really, really cool. And <laughs> When you're Um, writing threads and you want to get your content out there, you need to differentiate yourself from the thousand other threaders in the space. So identifying (laughs) your own style is kind of important. And I've just gone with some artwork that I find quite cool. I spend a lot of time and I have also historically like spent a lot of time like getting familiar with Photoshop, et cetera, because like you needed to create good thumbnails. And when you have some knowledge around that, like I also try to integrate a lot of visual content into my Twitter threads, where I also do some edits and work a lot on my um, my images for, for the first post of the thread, etc. because it's it's just a great way to to catch people's attention on the research that you're doing and to create your own kind of style, I guess you can say.
0: Definitely caught my attention. That's why I asked. I was like, oh, I thought you had like a strong affinity to Japanese culture.
1: Uh, I was going to ask, what do you think is the state of threading on crypto Twitter right now? Do you think we're oversaturated with threaders? Do you see like a new class of up and coming threaders that are hungry? Do you see, you know, what do you see? What is the state of threading on crypto Twitter?
2: It has become much more saturated than it was half a year ago or a year ago. If you uh, have a smaller Twitter profile, what I recommend is really starting with a niche because that's the only way for you to get seen. One year ago, there were a few people writing about Frax Finance or GMX. Now there are so many different threads written constantly. So it is more saturated. But if you have your own style and your own personality, there's still definitely room to grow, I believe. There's a thousand different ways to provide value and there are a lot of threaders who are benefiting from getting a lot of followers in this recent bull rally we've seen by pumping different small cap tokens and sharing all of their profits that they've made on different ai tokens and uh, gamble tokens etc but long term as i mentioned there are so many ways to provide value so Just get your content and your thoughts out there because 100% there will at some point be people super interested in uh, reading what you're producing.
1: Other than yourself, who are some threaders that people should watch out for and follow? Who are people you like?
2: Well, that's a good question. So there are these two Twitter profiles that produce quite great content. Um, They're called DeFi Dave and OX capital K, like they're just making <laughs> some really great content. So you should probably check those out. <laughs> thank you, um, yeah, thank you for planning. the plug. Yeah. Other than that, that like some, some Twitter profiles I've been following for a long time. And that have also inspired me a lot have, has been like uh, Root to Financial Independence, ILO, uh, the DeFi edge, et cetera. Like some people who have really inspired my own journey in researching and the approach that I want to go with as well as how you, how you can like grow on Twitter as well.
1: Yeah. I, I probably have one good thread every four to five months and then like, all right, this is too, this is too much effort. I got to like go back. I really enjoyed the one and- with
2: the eigenly and Frax. Like that was super great. Uh,
1: yeah. thank you thank you that means a lot i put a lot of energy and heart into that like i don't like to just have a thread to have a thread like i have like a bunch of threads in my past and you see the same thing but they just take so much time and i'm such an overthinker that when it comes to prioritizing it's just like all right like i gotta like do other things but you will see more threads for me in the future so be on the lookout um looking forward just, to it the right thing has to come up yeah
0: now now that we're on this topic like i This is a pretty bad, uh, I guess, um, heuristic (laughs) that I use. But once I notice an account has, like, too much followers, I pretty much just, like, unfollow them. Or I'd rather take them out of my list because I I feel like it it just starts getting, you know, diluted uh, away. Like, any alpha that they go to because the megaphone is too large now, you know. And then they probably have to watch what they say. And it it just kind of takes away from it. So, I really curate my list to, like, all the upcoming Kind of threaders because I feel like they're just more hungry, you know, with just mm. like actually good, yeah. juicy alpha.
1: It's like who has the sauce? Who has the juice?
2: And it depends what on what you find yeah. interesting in the space because there are so many different true, threaders true. and a lot of people with smaller accounts that are talking about niche things that don't necessarily apply to the more general readers on Twitter and therefore they might not have as many followers, but they're providing mm-hmm. so much value that like you just need to follow them if you are in that part of the space.
0: Yeah, and actually we love those threads so much that we actually bring them on the show. An example mm-hmm. of such is, is DeFi Cheetah, right? Like, mm-hmm. and obviously yep. yourself too. You know, we, we really like these um, threads that you guys are providing. And this, this is just a public good, I feel, for the community, for you to share your thoughts and your research. Cause let's be yeah. frank, like our reach is able to get us into access to the founders and to ask direct questions especially for us with frax right and we're able to kind of provide the you know organic marketing because we're literally community members of frax and we just yeah. come in and just provide that value
1: yeah and twitter basically provides the venue in the arena for open source research you know you have one third mm-hmm. and you know could be covering the area of the curve wars and the next is like LSDs and the next is, you know, options. This and It's really nice to see. And sometimes I can be cynical with threaders because I just see too many engagement baiters and I just I hate that. That's one of my like mm. worst pet peeves. Like it just like does not sit well with me just to create content for the sake of content for followers because it's just, you know, it's a waste and I hate it. But like to see people coming out with actual quality content, people that care. And I really emphasize, care part that like care about the future and the long term of the space and providing good information, like it goes a long way, especially when new people come to the space and they're trying to see through all the, you know, this huge sea of content, which, you know, it's hard to like get through the nuance of it, but when they find like the right content and, you know, hopefully they land on youth or hopefully they land on us, hopefully they land on a few other people that we've mentioned throughout the pod, you know, that they're like, ah, there's actually like some, something here, there's something here and they stick around and who knows, maybe they become a threader, they become a contributor. Um, and on that point, I'd like to uh, wrap up and go to our rapid fire questions. Um,
0: so yeah, yeah so, so I, I take over. Yeah, yeah. go ahead, Kate. Um, so normally at the end of these pause, we like to ask a series of just, you know, fun questions just for us to get, to you know, you better as a human being. And so the first question is always, what is your virgin crypto experience? And sexes don't count. When did you first touch the chain?
2: Oh, that is a good question. When I did I first touch the chain, that must have been like somewhere in 2021, and that is probably on the Polygon chain actually. Depositing into Ave, I uh, I followed some of Taiki's videos, and he's also one of the people who really got me into DeFi, and the uh, the yields just they blew me away.
0: <laughs> nice,
1: nice love that first gen of you percentage
0: <laughs> love at first lp i love it all right and then second question follow-up is what is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity what are some hobbies and interests of yours
2: a hundred percent working out actually i do um calisthenics which for anyone who's unfamiliar is oh. bodyweight training yeah. and i do that um a decent amount of times a week it's a great way for me to just just get my head into other things like if you had a busy day where you've just been grinding doing a lot of research like just getting your pulse up lifting some weights or lifting yourself whatever you're doing like it's just a great activity to just give your mind some rest and come back stronger afterwards
1: you would fit right in you do fit right into the Flex community Let's working out. Let's go. Um, So what is some advice that you would give to your younger
2: self? Oh, that's also a great, great question. I think it would be define some goals and figure out what you want out of life and then start planning for it because you don't end up at great places without actively trying to get there. Um, so, so the sooner you learn that, I think the better, the better positioned you are.
0: Oh, that's actually good advice. Very wise. Very wise. (laughs) Um, and then if last question to wrap this all up, if you weren't in crypto and you aren't in uni, uh, what do you think your professional path would be like?
2: So I often joke with in another life, I would probably be studying physics because that's also something I find super interesting and especially also like um, astrophysics. I listen to a lot of podcasts with Neil deGrasse Tyson. I think he's super interesting. And I think that whole space like what are black holes and there are some great YouTube channels out there. That's also like it's something that I would never have the time now to like really dive into but in in another life that's something that i would definitely like just really geek out on and uh and just learn a ton about
1: why another life maybe like after you know you make it you have some free time it's like oh time for my physics chapter my astrophysics Mm. chapter of my life thor i must say you are a chad and it's been a really fun conversation going on all these different rabbit holes with you here and we'll have to get you back on and help. Maybe we'll get Taiki back on and we'll have you both on and we'll have a uh, love YouTube, that. Com- yeah, the YouTube commentator episode in the future. But this has been a lot of fun uh, and really excited to get this one out. So
2: thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you, Thor.
1: Thank you everybody for watching this episode of Flywheel where we had on Thor, a threader, a YouTuber, and an overall scholar of the chain. If you want to hear all our thoughts on this episode of Flywheel, please go to our Substack below at flywheeloutput.com and subscribe for all the latest updates in alpha, uh, kit, anything you want to hint at any, any little, you know, little breadcrumbs for people. Nope. Nope. That's right. You got to go. You got to go subscribe and make sure you hit that bell button for all the latest updates on Flywheel DeFi. Subscribe to our YouTube. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Flywheel DeFi. Join our telegram at Flywheel DeFi. You can follow me on Twitter at DeFi Dave 22 Follow me at 0 capital underscore K. And go to that game show. What are you doing? Go right now. Go. Go, go, go.